The first article of the day is hardly the India-China century Deng envisioned. This article is written by Shashi Tharoor. For the current Chinese leadership, the 21st century is destined to be China's alone, with India to be shown its place. This article is written by Shashi Tharoor. 15 months after the clashes between Chinese and Indian soldiers in the Galwan Valley, India-China relations are at their lowest ebb in living memory. To be sure that these that there have always been political tensions even before both over each country's territorial claims over land controlled by the other and over such long-term problems as China's all-weather alliance with her hostile separated sibling Pakistan and her hospitality to the Dalai Lama was granted refuge when he fled Tibet in 1959 but neither country had allowed these tensions to overwhelm them China had declared that the border dispute could be left to future generations to resolve and India had endorsed the one China policy refusing to support Tibetan successionism while limiting official revenge reverence for the Dalai Lama to his status as a spiritual leader the line is no provocation india has usually shown no desire to rock the boat its actions and statements have usually been designed not to provoke our northern neighbor but to relegate the border problems to the back burner while enabling trade relations with china now worth close to 100 billion dollars to flourish India made it clear that it was unwilling to join United States led containment of China its traditional obsession with preserving its strategic autonomy after two centuries of colonial rule made it wary of the blandishments of the west ironically before galwan 2020 was supposed to be a landmark year for the two countries bilateral relations in october 2019 in mahabalipuram at their eighth meeting in nine years chinese Pre- president xi jinping and indian prime minister narendra modi had grandly pledged to take relations between their two countries to greater heights to mark the 70th anniversary of formal diplomatic relations between the two countries they announced that they would conduct 70 joint activities including further improving their burgeoning trade supporting scholarly research into their ancient civilizational links and even exchanging military delegations in a grand show of sino-indian cooperation there is a much connect this wasn't just fluff the two countries had indeed developed multiple avenues of engagement from negligible levels till 1991 trade with china had grown to become one of india's largest trading relationships Prime Minister Modi an early enthusiast had lifted residual restrictions on bilateral Chinese investment in strategic sectors of the Indian economy notably ports airports power generations and telecom channels so that by 2020 Chinese investments current and planned stood at about 26 billion dollars with infrastructure projects accounting for about half the total india engages with china diplomatically in the brics an association of brazil russia india china and south africa 
as well as conducting annual summits of RIC Russia India China India is an enthusiastic partner in the Chinese led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and the New Development Bank formerly referred to as a BRICS Development Bank but it has it has become increasingly apparent that the policy of sidestepping contentious issues and encouraging bilateral economic relations has played into chinese hands the people's liberation army has used the seemingly benign situation to repeatedly undertake minor military incursions inflict small scale military setbacks on india take a few square kilometers of territory along the line of actual control for local tactical purposes and then declare peace mutual disengagements are duly announced Both sides claim the crisis crisis is over but China establishes and fortifies its new de- deployment these mini crises always end with the chinese in a better position on the ground than before each incident establishes a new normal on the lac the chinese strategy in the galwan clash the chinese troops seem to have been engaged in a tactical move to advance their position along areas of the lec that it covets in order to threaten indian positions and indirect patrols after the recent incursions the chinese now reportedly control over 900 square kilometers of area in ladakh along the lac They are threatening India's construction of roads, bridges and similar infrastructure on undisputed Indian territory. A belated effort to mirror similar Chinese efforts near the LEC in Tibet. Rather than merely patrolling, they have established a fixed presence in these areas well beyond China's own claim line. Occupied the Finger Heights near Pangong Sa Pangong So Lake pitched hundreds of tents constructed concrete structures and built additional kilometers of road along the LEC the objective seems to be to extend chinese troop presence to the intersection of the galwan river and the shiok river which would make the galwan valley of bounds to india the chinese have constructed permanent structures in the area of their intrusion and ensured issued statements claiming that sovereignty over the galwan valley has always belonged to china china's strategy seems to be to consolidate the lac where it wants it so that an envy an eventual border settlement that takes these new realities into account will be in its favor that is a longer term plan Beijing keeps saying the border should be left to future generations to settle knowing full well that each passing year increases China's relative economic military and geopolitical strength vis-a-vis India while shifting the LEC in its favor in the meantime border in- uh, incidents keep the Indians off balance and demonstrate to the world that India is not capable of challenging China let alone offering security to other nations various Deng Xiaoping had told then Indian Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi in 1988 picture that the 21st century would be India and China's century. The current Chinese leadership has no patience for such a problem. They believe, indeed believe they know, that it is destined to be China's century alone and 
are all too happy to show India its subsidiary place in the pecking order. India's options. India's tactical options are an uninviable it has reinforced its military assets on the lac to prevent deeper incursions for now and hopes to press the chinese to restore the status quo ante through either diplomatic or military means chinese and indian officials are currently engaged in diplomatic and military to military dialogue to ease tensions but de-escalation has been stalled for months with china behaving as if that disengagement is already complete india has responded with largely symbolic acts of economic retaliation banning chinese apps in india on grounds of data security it is likely that chinese companies will be barred from various lucrative opportunities in the vast indian market as two of them hawaii and zte have been from the ongoing trials to be picked to build india's 5g telecom infrastructure India has also reimposed tighter limits on Chinese investment in broad projects such as railways, motorways, public sector construction, projects and telecoms, a reversal of the openness to China that the Modi administration had initially shown. The economic angle Yet India is far too dependent on China for other vital imports such as pharmaceuticals and even the active ingredients to make them. Automotive parts and microchips all needed by Indian manufacturers that many in New Delhi fear it would be shooting itself in the foot if it acted too strongly against China. Today India's dependence on China for its non-consumption economy remains high. What is more, imports from China have become indispensable for India's exports to the rest of the world. Various manufacturing inputs, industrial equipment and components and even some technological know-how come from China. Eliminating them could have a seriously negative effect on India's economic growth at a time when thanks mainly to the COVID-19 crisis, our GDP is estimated to have shrunk dramatically. and there are limits to the effectiveness of any indian retaliation trade with china may seem substantial from an indian perspective but it only represents 3% of china's exports drastically reducing it would not be enough to deter beijing or cause it to change its behavior this range of consideration seems to leave only two strategic options for new delhi reconciling itself to playing second fiddle to an assertive china in the region or seeking strength and leverage by aligning itself with a broader international coalition against chinese ambitions since the first is indigestible for any democracy is china de facto pushing india into doing something it has always resisted aligning with the west Shashi Tharoor is a third term member of parliament representing Tiruvannanthapuram and an award winning author of 22 books including most recently The Battle of Belonging. The next article is Know the enemy no self is sound professional advice. This article is written by Manmohan Bahadur. It can be achieved if the national leadership and military education system have access to full-time domain specialist. 
Sun Tzu, Chinese general military strategist, writer and philosopher, famously said, "If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle." Considering the recent events in the military circles, this needs examination and certain facets of professional military education (PME) in the Indian Armed Forces evaluated. a structured process knowing the adversary and yourself is a three step process first gathering information the adversaries and your own its distillation into knowledge and finally recommending options to decision makers the third step is critical for national leadership pragmatic leadership seeks advice from knowledgeable people Thus, the National Security Council Secretariat, that is NSCC, and National Security Advisory Board (NSAB) and Niti Aayog advise the government and offer options on key issues. Each body must have domain specialists from important fields, and when one considers. The NSCS and the NSAB the three arms of the armed forces should be represented at the senior advisory level Unfortunately this has not been the case for many years now It would be intrusive to see how others nations affair in such apex bodies says the members need to be both academics and professionals rolled into one Apex institutions abroad I had the good fortune of doing two specialist courses abroad in the test pilot school EPNER in France that I attended in 1987 the chief ground instructor who taught us theory of test flying was a civilian aerodynamicist the school's commandant had earlier been the air force's mirage 2000s project pilot with the aviation company miss desault he was seconded to EPNER to teach test flying can we replicate such intermixing in pme institutions so that personal benefit from expertise available within ourselves incidentally the examiner for my final examination was the chief test pilot of aerospetail that is a civilian working in the french aviation industry The EPNER example one from the tactical level illustrates how theorists and practitioners from different fields can be devoted devoted to holistically train junior professionals who later hold appointments at the operational and strategic realm The United States Air United States Air Force has its Air University with a faculty of civilian academics who having dedicated their lives studying just one particular field are the last word in their area of expertise their teachings are correlated with real life experiences by uniformed civil service instructors when i was doing my course there colonel john wotton came as the commandant of the staff college an air pilot strategist the colonel had designed the brilliant air campaign in operational desert storm against iraq in 1991 Post the successful air com- campaign it would be remembered ground forces had a free run After his successful operational tour he turned an academicians and enriched the staff college syllabus with his operational experience The situation in India How are we doing in India It would be safe to 
say that in our PME institutions, most, if not all, instructors are service officers posted in from field staff appointments who do their two or three year tenure and move on. There is no time to become an expert. Having guest lectures is not substitute is no substitute to having subject matter experts on staff do, doing full time teaching. Luckily, we see a whiff of change in some institution. The Naval War College in Goa invites an eminent academics from abroad to run capsules on operational art. The college also has an adjacent faculty of tri-service retired officers acting as mentors in speci- specialized areas of learning. It is also heartening to see the National Defense College of Delhi set up a president's chair of excellence tenanted by a retired scholar warrior and this this is how it should be elsewhere too. IDO project languishes. The Defence Service Staff College should be the starting point with permanent chairs for subject matter experts teaching military history, strategy, geopolitics at all. Service officer would be the links to field realities. It is a joint institution and hence the commandant should be a reputed scholar, warrior from any of the three services and not just from the army as has been till now. The Army War College, College of Air Warfare, College of Defense Management, etc. should take similar action. And as one moves up the hierarchy of learning, one wonders where the Indian Defense University project, earlier INDU, Indian National Defense University, is languished after its foundation stone was laid in 2013 near Gurgaon. In times when road infrastructure and the setting up of additional Indian Institute of Technology, Indian Institute of Management, All India Institute of Medical Science, etc., etc., being fast-tracked, the silence on the IDU, which would be the capstone institution to guide PME architecture in India, is unfathomable. While the Ministry of Home Affairs has set up the Rashtri Raksha University in Gujarat, whose head is a member of the NSAB too, one wonders why the Ministry of Defence is procrastinating with ITU that is planned to have all tri-service institutions, including the National Defence College, under its tutelage. Incidentally, the website of RRU states that it will have schools for air and space, navy, army at all. But one thought that the character for such schools of higher strategic learning was to be for IDU, which brings us to the topmost policy advisory tier, the NSAB and NSCS. These apex bodies conduct long-term analysis and provides perspective on issues of national importance to India's political leadership. If there was ever a case of sound academic presence and military professionals from all three services populating them, it is here. The national leadership, both civil and military, in these times of galloping technology, in the military sphere and rehashing of international relationships will gain immensely in knowing the enemy and itself. Air Vice Marshal Manmohan Bahadur, VM, retired, is a former additional director general, Center for Air Pass Studies, and the views expressed are his personal. Cutting fuel taxes is a sure short way 
to address a major component of price pressures transient easing is the title of this article the latest retail inflation data suggests at first flush that price pressures have begun to moderate in the economy with the august print for cpi showing inflation having slowed for a second straight month to a 5.3% pace after july is 5.59% price tends among the constituents of the consumer price index and the latest wholesale price index based inflation however show that it would be premature to drop the guard on price gains for one the year earlier inflation reading was elevated thus imparting a favorable base effects month on month however the cpi nudged up 0.25% from july belying the inference of softening inflation and the pace of price gains in at least three essential food components speeded up from the preceding month with meat and fish dairy and oils and fat posting uh, significant accelerations edible oils have been on tear for months now the august print was 33% after july 32.5% and an earlier round of cuts in import duties have had little impact in cooling their prices forcing the center to announce another tranche of duty reductions this month Inflation in two other vital protein sources, eggs and pulses, also continued to remain a cause for concern. While inflation in eggs remained in the high teens at 16.3%, price increase in pulses was 8.81% after slowing 23 basis points from July's 9.04% space. A persistent and wider deflation in vegetable prices was the main positive contributor to the easing in overall food and beverages inflation last month. The pace of inflation in fuel and light, clothing and footwear, health as well as household goods and services all ratcheted up last month. Transport and communications which include pump prices of the main automotive fuels of petrol and diesel stayed stuck in double digits at 10.2%, albeit after a 30 basis point easing from July's 10.5% pace. And the WPI data show higher transportation costs combined with input price pressures fanned a faster inflation in manufactured products as well. sending the segment space to 11.4% a fourth straight month of double digit price gains the outlook for inflation is far from sanguine if one considers that ihs markets pmi surveys for services revealed input costs rose in august august at the fastest rate in four months and a recent cii polls of ceos showed a majority 67% expect average retail inflation this year to hover close to or exceed the rbi's mandated monetary policy upper threshold of 6% policy makers are only too well aware that ultimately inflation is not just about point reading but far more about consumers and businesses expectations of the trend in prices fears of future high inflation dampen sentiment and thus retard economic activity Cutting fuel taxes is a sure shot way to address a major component of price pressures and it is time the government bites the bullet and acts to provide a more abiding solution.